Dead Eyes? Dead Eyes? Okay. What okay. do you think, if I say this is the title of the podcast, what do you think it's about? It's all about words where you don't pronounce the I. No. Okay. Wow. Rick's an, an etymologist. Uh, dilettante at it, but no, it's a, it's actually about a, 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 an actor who was cast in a small role in Band of Brothers. Okay. In episode five, that was Tom Hanks directing, but Tom Hanks decided he didn't want to use him because he thought he looked like he had dead, dead eyes. And so it has haunted him for the next 20 years. Of His, his security was entirely... So, so the, the, only the first episode is available so far, but it is talking with his friend. He's now... This is, all just, this is all just some guy wanting Tom Hanks to hear about this and come no, back. No, his career him. has gone. No, he auditioned for. He had to do a read through again, a read reading for Tom Hanks, and he's doing quite well in his career okay. now. Okay. But he's, uh, but he's just talking about. Originally, it was like what what was that and how a casting director probably should not have told him why that was the issue, but also about how. Yeah, you know, people have these things where they're failures. And uh, so episode two will apparently be he was in a college production of Ordinary People, and the guy playing the therapist was a senior in the program, was uh, John Hamm. And so John Hamm will come into episode two talking about how he was told he was never going to make it as a TV actor. You know, he would never be a television star. Because he had dead eyes. Or Or bad breath. Anyway, it was a it's an interesting interesting podcast. I'm hoping goes goes further. So, how many episodes are there? So? Uh, well, so far it's only one. So, okay. but he says it's going to be a, a large series. And yes, he says it wouldn't. So he's right out there in the 90 percentile of podcasts. It just started. So why not give it a why not give it a? a oh, sure. oh, I see what you're saying. They can't all be at episode 568 just because no one told us to stop. I'm so tired when I think about all that. You're tired. All that editing. I've done seven more than you did. Oh my! Right. A whole seven. seven, and a lost episode that you weren't even involved in losing. No, yeah. So that was long. Anyway, so this is story. the Fanboy Planet you. podcast. No, we will not share it, and you will never know what happened on that podcast because I don't remember either. Uh, this is Derek McCaw, editor in chief of FanboyPlanet.com, and we have a special guest star tonight. Well, more than one, but one's here for the whole duration. That's right. Wearing black, and it is slimming. <laughs> thank you, thank you. I'm Drew Campbell. Yes. And producing this on the fly, because we're actually recording uh, someplace else. So not the usual Brett game, but to identify yourself. No, we're, and, and I want to remind everybody not to tap the table. But uh, I'm Rick Brett Snyder. We're, in the, we're, we're using the mobile lab. We're using the mobile lab. We are at Seven Stars Bar and Grill, which is at 398 South Bascom Avenue. I was thinking ahead and actually wrote down the address. That's very good. So that I would not. I'm stunned, frankly. Do you know yeah. the zip code? No. Does anybody uh, need the zip code? They just need to show write fan mail. To, well, I think you I just, don't know. You just the, tell your phone now where Seven Stars and it'll take you You could That's just true. go to the website and find out the zip code, which is uh, sevenstarsbar.com. And uh, so, anyway, I, as we're going to talk uh, tonight is uh, it almost feels like it should be an annual episode because clearly we're not we're not here to deconstruct and and, and do the death knell for Star Wars, but it's the annual State of the Star Wars Union right uh, conversation. <laughs> right. Uh, but before we do, of course, if there's anything that we talk about on tonight's episode, which may be a little different than our usual 
pattern, but uh, if there's anything we talk about that you would like to own for your very self and you cannot find it at your local brick-and-mortar store, and I do encourage you to try to find it at your local brick-and-mortar store, you can, of course, find links on Fanboy Planet through Amazon. And anything you order through Amazon that goes through Fanboy Planet, we are affiliated and we get a small little kickback. And we appreciate that. If you'd like to help defray the cost of the podcast and the site, you can go to PayPal and donate at editor at fanboyplanet.com. As well, you can join the conversation that way. If you've got any questions, comments, compliments, commentary, criticism, write in to editor at fanboyplanet.com. You can also join the conversation on Facebook. We have the Facebook page, Fanboy Planet. You can follow us on Twitter at Fanboy Planet and Instagram at Fanboy Planet. A little bit of a pattern. But anyway... And now that everyone has stopped listening, hey, I don't need you for that. <laughs> Whoa. So, so anyway, uh, yeah, we, we. But I guess we should set up that we're doing one of our time travel episodes as well. Yes, because we are uh, pre-recording after this podcast a conversation as well that we're about to listen to with the director. Correct me if I'm wrong. Director and. Producer, producer and star, star, and star of a currently touring Evil Dead the Musical HD, yes. which is featuring Drew Campbell as good old reliable Jake. That's right. Uh, and it is currently playing at San o- the San Jose Stage Company, though it is not a San Jose Stage Company production, correct? Correct. Anyway, we will be talking with Maddie Gregg. We will have once did already talk with Maddie Gregg. So here it is, Maddie Gregg. And here we are. We have our special guests in our time-traveling interview, which was pre-recorded at a later date. And here we are. So, gentlemen, please introduce yourselves. Uh, So I'm Maddie Gregg. I'm the executive producer for Evil Dead the Musical HD. And I'm Henry Melanger. I'm road manager, and I play a variety of roles, from a tree to a lamp. Indeed, I think I think Matty, you were a little uh, humble there. I, I'm the executive producer, and we know from Hollywood, <laughs> executive producer just guys that take the money. But you do far more than that. You actually he loses the money. He loses the money. That's right. I lose yes. the money as best as I can. No, I also so I do. I do play Ash Williams in the show in San Jose. Um, when we go to Chicago, it'll be played by another uh, really talented actor, but. Um, I also do some of the animations on our virtual set, which we're going to talk about a little bit. And, uh, yeah, do a lot of stuff as it relates to the show. Well, this is, uh, this is the second show you have done. It's, it's the San Jose Stage Company right now, and then it's moved to Chicago. We said in Austin, and there's one more city. Seattle. One, Seattle. I just want to make sure we catch it in there so people listen and, you know, they know it's coming. It's you. And we should also say that Drew Campbell is still at the table here. Oh, God, he still is. Still from the past. I mean, future. He's from I future. Uh, yeah. and yes, this is before we talk about Star Wars. <laughs> yes. I don't know what the... Okay. <laughs> this is more confusing than The Witcher. And um, Drew has a role in all this. Too. Yeah, I play, I play quote-unquote, good old reliable Jake in, in the San Jose dates for, for Evil Dead, the musical HD. Very good. This is the second show you have done. I mean, I think the second time you've done The Evil Dead, but you also did the Rocky Horror Show. HD, what what gave you the impetus to form your own theater company doing this unique method of production? Well, so I've always loved to do animations and 3D models and renders. That's just kind of my, my hobby. And so I've also been into AV. I actually do that as part of my job when I worked at Apple. And I just said one day, you know what, I think we could make this into something very, very different on stage. So uh, I went and I looked at trying to get some equipment for a video wall and a video floor and went and found some really cheap stuff online and went and purchased it. And we basically kind of created this concept called the movie musical. Uh, And the idea basically is that we can um, make a movie format but have live actors on stage kind of working around some of the animations that we can do. It's kind of this immersive experience and almost feels like you're watching a movie, but you know that you're watching a live performance. And and you started with Rocky Horror, so why not go with something like The King and I? Why did you start with the darker... Uh, <laughs> no, it's just interesting because I did just see Anastasia, and Anastasia does a lot channel? of that. I mean, that it's becoming, you know... I think Broadway is picking this up. Yes. Uh, but but it is, why was that the show that you started with? Well, Rocky Horror Show obviously found its roots as a 
uh, as a movie. I mean, it got its popularity with Rocky Horror Picture Show. And so it was very easy for us. I think from an audience perspective, people can make that leap and that jump when they think about how shadow casting was done for many years with Rocky mm-hmm. Horror Picture Show. So we, we kind of mirror with our animations the idea of shadow casting, except we actually sing and we perform. And with Rocky Horror Show, we had a live band. Uh, we did a lot of our own orchestrations. And a lot of people really, really responded well to it. So that was an easy place to kind of start out for, uh, for people that were kind of getting introduced to this new medium. And then you took from there, you went to Evil Dead. I mean, it, it is interesting. I, I, I love Evil Dead, the musical, kind of uh, with the same, I don't know, plucky roots of, of, of Rocky Horror. You know, a bunch of people in a small back room doing this musical adaptation. So what drew you to that one? Oh, Evil Dead has always been one of my favorites. My brother... I remember uh, my brother getting the Fangoria magazine with uh, Henrietta on the cover a uh, long, long time ago, 1987, I think it actually was released, and showing it to me and saying, this is the greatest movie of all time. And, of course, I was nine years old, and I had no idea what he was talking about. Um, but uh, he got me interested in this genre, and it just, even back then, I knew that it was a funny movie. Uh, it didn't feel gory. It didn't feel bloody. Um, and it just felt like something that was kind of new and fresh. And back then... Um, even even back then, I kind of saw it as lending itself to kind of a live performance where you could do things like like drop buckets of uh, blood on people that were just that were just kind of watching the show. I was into musical theater back then and theater in general. And um, in two thousand one, when the musical was actually written by George Reinblatt in Toronto, I kind of looked at it and said, "Man, I I wanted to do that. Like I actually wanted to create this musical." Um, so it's been with me for a long time. I went to see it in Toronto, and then I later went to see it in New York, and it pretty much was everything that I wanted it to be, um, except now with the technology being where it is, we can do some really, really cool things to bring uh, more of the movie to the actual live stage and production. Um, in our production, the cabin in and of itself is the one that's actually in Evil Dead 2. So the layout, all of the things that are on the wall, the pictures, uh, many of the stuff that we have is very much... Uh, uh, reminiscent of Evil Dead 2 so you kind of feel like you're part of the movie even though a lot of that is kind of static and not moving around with different camera angles and things like that so you move through the, the you move through the house like somebody in a VR experience might move through a door into another room down a hallway into another room it's all shown on the screen and the audience is right there with you exactly yeah and they're just basically taken through the cabin as well yeah as, as the newest person to come to Evil Dead I thought one of the coolest things technically uh, speaking with the unique set that Maddie's created, is that there are times during the program that the camera yes. shifts around the cast. And so the cast spins in place in time with the video that's happening, so you see a different perspective of the room. So when, when he says that it, it's actually laid out like the Evil Dead 2 cabinet, it literally is, and the audience gets to see that because everything shifts around there is all four walls which is brilliant and hilarious because you have dead bodies on the floor that are having to shift along with the camera yeah yeah and they're spinning themselves yes yeah it's it's at times completely ridiculous but it's a very very cool effect and it was one of the things i thought when i first saw rocky before i was involved at all i thought it was just the coolest thing ever and henry how did you get involved with this I saw the show uh, during the 2018 run when they were in San Jose. It actually went on Halloween. Um, they had a costume contest, the works, uh, and I had never seen Evil Dead, any of them. I uh-huh. wasn't a horror movie fan. I was very easily spooked, so I had no idea what to expect. All I knew was that there was blood, and it was based on a horror movie. So I actually went into it with very frightened expectations, and had a blast um, because yeah I mean with the virtual set and everything else going on there's so much to look at and I mean the first time the cast rotates around that point and looks at a different part of the cabin I don't think you realize like in a live experience how much you get used to things alright there's this there's that here's the set and when it rotates so suddenly it just I don't know. It's you, shocking. It's shocking. And yeah, and from then on, you are kind of taken aback in this really cool way where anything can happen. So when someone gets stabbed and blood hits you in the face from a cannon, 
at the edge of the stage. It just kind of fits in with that technical aspect where, yeah, really, like, the set can move. Someone can bleed all over you. A zombie might dump a bucket of blood. It's it's wild. It's, it's kind of cute, on. too, because you have this really technical setting, mm-hmm. and then you have things like the cellar, which is just like mm-hmm. this box. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and it doesn't move. And the fact that somebody's locked down in there, but they're standing in it so they can deliver the lines back and forth is just... It's, it's, it's theater madness. It's wonderful. It's, it's this weird dichotomy of high-budget feel and spending a lot of time doing really dumb stuff. Like, we spent a, a considerable amount of time thinking about how we could do dumb things for the audience... It almost, it almost, um, it's almost endearing in a certain way. Like it's, it's endearing in a certain way. When people come to see the show, they think, "Oh, wow, big technical budget, big mm-hmm. large set." Right. And then they see Tree come out and bring the, you know, bring the uh, the, the table on, and right. they say, "There is a tree that brings brought the table on. This is crazy. This is like so stupid." But they laugh about it because it actually works with the fact that you would think it'd be large budget. When people get sucked in, right? They, they just want to feel like. As a group and an audience and actors, you want to acknowledge it is still all theater. Yes, and and you do the thing that is very true to Sam Raimi, and I think this focuses on you, Henry, as a fake shemp. So, because you were telling you guys were telling me this that that it is something that no other production, to your knowledge, let's just be fair, uh, <laughs> you know, has done. Which is there's a lot of silliness that isn't necessarily in the script, but obviously is very true to the spirit of the of of the original productions. Absolutely. I think, I think the big thing that is different with our production, other than the virtual, you know, the set and everything else, is this idea that we have a, a, a bit of self-awareness to what it is that we're doing, and we bring the audience into that self-awareness. For example, when, you know, the, the fake champs are basically kind of staging everything to make sure that the show can continue to move. They put, you know, a piece, uh, they put the fruit cellar on at this point, and then they put the table on, take it off, we don't try to hide that stuff. Hand yeah. a shovel over. No. Drop a gun, hand yeah. a shovel. Like We don't try to hide that stuff. The virtual set in and of itself does a really good job at framing it, but then the fake shemps actually move the action, which is not necessarily what you'll see in a lot of the productions that you'll see. People normally just tell the story of Evil Dead in the first act, and then Evil Dead 2 in the second act. And it's kind of self-contained in that. But we kind of build it to the point where... The fake shemps are a little bit more in the background at the beginning, but then by the end, they're pretty much just out there in the audience, and and they're just moving the action and continue. Yeah, literally, continuously just showing people that there are trees out there that are now moving set pieces on and off. And you you build such a rapport with the audience throughout the show that on Saturday something happened that I think was not normal, but you have the spirit come out. And as you, you as Ash, were about ready to blow its head off when the head just rolled off and hit the floor. Oh, the, yes. And you got the biggest applause of the night for that, especially for the fact that you just, you just milked it. But um, that was, the, the audience is so there with you and wanting to Wait, are you telling me that somebody playing Ash Williams milked the audience for a laugh? <laughs> yeah. It that's, could that's be. That's kind of the difference between perception. our production and most theater, right? Most theater is, is the art of illusion. They want to hide the wires and everything. We not only show all of the wires, we acknowledge them. Kind of there's there's a, a whole sequence that we come on stage screaming and, and realize that one of the fake champ trees is still there moving a table and we all stop and walk it, watch him go off stage yes. and the audience eats it up and so very early on we tell the audience we're on your side you know come be stupid with us have you had any connection or contact with anybody from the original films or other productions we're actually in constant contact with Dana DiLorenzo um, I, I actually just saw her uh, less than a month ago at uh, New England Comic Con, which is actually where I live now. So oh, okay. she was at the New England Comic Con, and uh, we, we, she actually came to see the show along with Lindsay Ferris, who was uh, Dalton in season three. And they both came to see it, and they could not stop laughing. 
they thought it was the funniest thing that they'd ever seen. Of course, they've seen the movie hundreds of times. Sure. And, you know, Dana clearly has seen it a lot. Um, and this is Dana DiLorenzo from Ash vs. Evil From Ash vs. Evil Dead, yeah, sorry. She should give a context there. But yeah, she's Kelly Maxwell on Ash vs. Evil Dead. And um, she's always been a big fan of our show. Always a big fan since she's seen it. And she loves, you know, the, the one thing that she said to me after the first time that she saw it in 2018, she just said, I love what you do with Tree. Which is the char- one of the characters in our yeah. show is yeah. is one of the fake shimps, and she just couldn't get enough of Tree. She thought it was so funny that we would just have him out there, basically making everything happen around the audience. And um, she loves the virtual set, and she's always kind of talking us up at every comic con that she goes to. She actually had uh, the last comic con, I guess, was L.A. Comic Con. It was last, yeah, last was week at some point. Uh, Long Beach. Long, oh, Long Beach. Beach. Thank you. That's weekend. where. Yeah. yeah, she was there. So she uh, actually had her shirt on the entire time from Evil Dead the musical. Excellent. And so when people would ask her, where, did, where can I get a shirt like that? She's like, you got to go see it in San Jose. So <laughs> it was really nice of her that to was, do that. That was that was nice. Yeah. Okay. Uh, which musical would you set your sights on next? Or would you? Oh, that's Are really you like? Question. I am done now. I have made all my artistic statements. I think I want to do an original. I, I think I really like this genre. I really like this horror genre where we peel back the curtain. And so I was kind of kicking around this idea of a Nightmare on Elm Street or a Friday the 13th musical. And really, the one that I really would love to do is Labyrinth, but they're already working on it. So Henson Studios is working on it, and they, and you know, a Kind of a side note. And Pan's Labyrinth, too. Well, that, Pan, that would be an interesting one, yeah. <laughs> no, they, Guillermo del Toro and Paul Williams are working on that. Oh, are they really? Yeah. Musical wow. or just yeah. a Musical. Oh, yeah. wow. Musical. That's insane. Yeah. Wow. Maddie uh, did not like my idea of Human Centipede, the musical. No. I was hoping you wouldn't bring that up. Yeah. We were, we were brainstorming other things you might do. Oh, some of the ones we, you, were, you were saying. I, I think, unfortunately, that Drew said human centipede. Well, my there was another one. Blank and there, hurt. There was, there was something else and then cats. Oh, and then cats. The yeah. Cats, well, yeah. that's it. Yeah. We didn't realize it was scary enough. Horrible. But no, no, no. That's, that, that is interesting. Uh, you know, I, we, I, I'm friends with, the, with, with Derek Mears, who was the last Jason. Yeah. Uh, he's a beautiful singer, so I'm just saying that you could probably... Maybe we have somebody you, you, we can you, cast you right away. Act- <laughs> he sings wonderfully. <laughs> so, anyway. Uh, well, you know, so that's cool. And, and then Drew was telling me that you've also done a lot of... You ran across America raising money for firefighters? Yes. Yeah, so the- talk about that, because right now, you know, our tagline is, use your powers for good. You clearly do, not just making fun musicals but you've actually used your powers for good so i really want to sp- give a spotlight on that oh thank you so in november um of this last year uh, actually 2018 right after we performed evil dead the musical literally the day after yeah the day after yeah it was a little crazy actually it was two days i guess because it was uh it was election day um i voted i voted in santa clara and then i basically we had everything packed up and ready to go and essentially i Moved across the country to New Hampshire. All my stuff went there, but I stayed and I started running back to New Hampshire. So, and I was doing it for a ca- for a good cause. Uh, one of my very good friends here in California, who actually just moved to North Carolina, he is a fire chief down in the Monterey area, or was. And he told me about this cause of uh, firefighter cancer being a big problem, and showed mm. me a lot of the statistics around that. And it's just shocking. It, the big shocking part for me not only was that not only are firefighters more prone to be to get cancer like they'll get it at a higher rate even though it's not a much higher rate the part that's scary is how quickly things go to stage four mm-hmm. for firefighters it is a big deal as soon as they get cancer sometimes it's just months before it gets to stage four and it metastasizes so it's really a deadly set of cancer whether it's thyroid which is a big killer um, which is surprising because mostly most of the time thyroid is actually a very slow slow uh, yeah. cancer um, but they'll get lung cancer. They'll get uh, and, uh, cancer through uh, various uh, various ways. And some of that has to do with the idea that they're just exposed to a lot of it. But also a lot of that has to do uh, – part of the problem that they're running into is that there's not a lot of education around what to do after you're, you go to a fire mm-hmm. as a firefighter. A lot of people leave their gear on after a fire and they'll sleep in it or, you know – now I think it's getting a little. It's getting a lot different where there's more awareness out there. But I basically ran um, five thousand four hundred and twenty-five miles across America. I'm tired just basically hearing you said. say that. <laughs> yeah, ah, no big deal. Okay. I was there till the twenty-one part. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> well, so I ran five thousand four hundred twenty-five miles, and that's actually the equivalent of running from um, 
uh, San Francisco to New York and back. And essentially what it was, was it, there was a southern route that was taken, and I kind of went north and south as I was running across America. So the mileage that was done, I was stopping at a lot of different fire stations asking the question, how is your decontamination process going? So from my perspective of raising awareness, that's what I was trying to do. But also I was trying to raise money from friends, family members, uh, anybody that would donate. And we ended up uh, raising about $150,000 for firefighter cancer. That's awesome. So, so I, I would ask, in addition to, of course, people can get tickets from Evil for, at EvilDeadTheMusical.com. Uh, is there a particular charity or a, for firefighters that you would recommend, or do you still have a fund open? Actually, we're starting something now with uh, Dana DiLorenzo and Ariel Carver O'Neill, who was uh, Brandy in Ash vs. Evil Dead. It was uh, you know Ash's daughter. Yeah. Uh, we're starting something now for the Australian fires that are going on for the animals that have been kind of... Uh, I hate to say this. I was hoping you were going to say something like this. Okay. So that's great. I mean, you know, I mean no, I, I do want to hear about it. I, I, you're wonderful. Go. <laughs> well, and, and to be honest with you, I think it's the first time these guys are hearing about it, too. So. I just mentioned it a fight caller, too. Was it? Yeah. Okay, good. good. So, Ooh, scoop. Even better. <laughs> so we're, we're, try- we're working with uh, uh, Dana and Ariel to bring awareness to what's going on as part of these fires that are going across Australia right now. The RSPCA is trying to raise a lot of, uh, of money through their, uh, it's, I think it's called the uh, National Bushfires. Uh, it's essentially just um, uh, responding to a lot of the animals that are kind of waylaid in the midst mm-hmm. of, the, of these problems because, it, I mean, right. obviously they have an, eco, uh, an ecosystem that they've lived in for so long, and now that the fires have kind of misplaced, displaced them, they we have to figure something out for, for them. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of money is going towards that, and we're trying to raise money uh, and awareness for that cause. So that'll be coming up uh, starting uh, tomorrow night, actually, uh, on Wednesday when we do our, our, last, our first uh, show of our last weekend. We'll need uh, to get the Santa's URL Day. from it that we sort of put on our, our webpage. Yeah, sure, yeah, yeah. absolutely. So, and, and I say that this probably won't go live before tomorrow night. So, um, you know, if you have it, it'll be, it'll be good that it, it, it'll get, get out there. So, okay. yeah, yeah, make sure. Great. And, Thank you. And it's uh, in order to get tickets for the show for Evil Dead the Musical HD, you want to go to EvilDeadTickets.com. Thank you. Thank you. I, and uh, on social media, it's uh, at I'll Follow Your Soul. I'll Follow Your Soul. On Instagram. Yep. On Instagram, on Facebook. Yep. Those yeah. two. And so your next couple of productions are you're going what cities are you going to after San Jose? Chicago is going to be our next one. Chicago, Chicago. Austin, and Seattle. Yes. Okay. And we're looking so, at Boston and some other areas. So now. it's not over. No. The, it's not over. Because like long. Evil Dead itself, it's <laughs> never over. <laughs> never ends. It is. It'll just keep coming back, coming back. Yeah, which this is your, the sixth edition of the box set. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, of the video games, which is your favorite Evil Dead video game? Oh boy. Um, I can't remember the name of it, but it was for PlayStation 2. Evil Dead... Was it Resurrection? Was that oh, the name of it? I think there it? was a Resurrection. There was a Hail to the King. It was uh, the first one that came out on PlayStation 2. It was Resurrection was the name of it, I think. That was the one I played the most. And as I was saying, and uh, Ted was the little dwarf. Was that... Yes. Yes. I, it's the one I played, too. So. Oh, that's great. That's great. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yes. All right. Well, cool. I know it was, it was an unfair question just like throw out there. <laughs> Woo! Uh, That's but anyway. Gotcha. That's the kind of gotcha stuff <laughs> yeah. we do here. Oh, we're crazy. Okay. Uh, anyway, so thank you so much for taking the time tonight. Uh, and uh, good luck on the rest of Break a leg on the rest of the run in many more cities and keep on going. And it's been great talking to you guys. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks. Well, that was fun. Now we can talk <laughs> about... My second favorite franchise. We've talked enough about Evil Dead, Army of Darkness, and I'm sure more. Ash versus Evil Dead. Is there anything else? And of course, Cats, the musical, which uh, is the little known entry in the Evil Dead franchise. It's just too horrifying for anyone to have watched. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, we're going to talk about Star Wars, of course, and uh, this is the first, I think this is the first time that you and I have actually had a, anything approaching a conversation about the rise of Skywalker. We have not discussed it at all yet, no. No, we have not. So um, I, I'm afraid to, to... We did a little bit. We did, we yeah. did. And I think at this point it's not like, ooh, we got to have a review because if you haven't seen The Rise of Skywalker yet, you 
probably weren't planning on it or you're waiting till Blu-ray anyway. That's right. Uh, and that's all right. That's absolutely all right. But we're going to do spoilers. We, we, I think we can just freely speak. Yeah, yes, absolutely. Point. At this point. Yes. And uh, so, you know, the, the comment I've had is, is that is it like, is the rise of Skywalker like the end of Star Wars? Somebody actually said that. The end of me. Star like, Wars. This was the end of Star Wars. Well, but it's well. unfortunately named franchise because it's Star Wars. It's not anything else. I mean, it's, right. it's going to be Star Wars continually. No yeah. Even if it's the not Skywalker about Skywalker saga the is Skywalker. complete. Yes. Right. And they <laughs> say for <clears throat> now and in 20 years when they get a 50-year-old uh, Daisy Ridley back to, you know, I'm sure they'll Okay, end I'm up. interested in that. Yeah, okay, why not? If you've if you've risen a Skywalker, yeah. then uh, somewhere down the road. Uh, I know that uh, Boyega and uh, and Oscar Isaac have said they, they, they're not interested in, in doing any Disney Plus stuff. But in 20 years from now, are we going to be going to movies anyway? It's all going to be Disney Plus. Probably. Um, and by the way, Disney Plus will be all. It just it's just gonna yeah. That's all there is. Yeah, it'll be beamed directly into our heads. It'll be like Taco Bell winning the franchise wars. Absolutely. Um, Demolition Man reference, Rick. Yes, it's I okay. It. You yeah. can reference other yeah other pop culture. I just things. got an odd look. That's just Rick. It's all right. So, uh-huh. so, so. What did you think? Is is probably the hardest core Star Wars fan that I, I may have one other person that I know in my life that's a harder core fan than you, but I. That would be impressive. Um, I thought, and my, my, my personal shame is that even at this point, I have still only seen it once. Really? I have that's, not had time to go the, back and that, see it that, That's times. your most personal shame? Right? Well, at the moment. Okay. I've got so many, but this I is know, the big one right now. Right. As, okay. as, as, a Star War, as a Star Wars hardcore fan, I've only had a chance to see Rise Fair. of Skywalker it's once. A, it's a perspective thing. But, I've seen it twice. But Ooh, my I've walking out of it, I thought it was perfection. I thought it was damn near perfection. And what makes it perfect? It just, it wrapped everything up. I, you know, a lot of people complain about Palpatine coming back. I loved it. Yeah. I absolutely loved it. Even though I'm not a huge fan of the comic that it was, that gave them the idea in the first place, Dark Empire. Right. I didn't like the Emperor coming back in that, you know, 30 years later, it works. I, I don't know. It, it, it worked Did you for read me. read Dark Empire? I'm sorry? Did you read Dark Empire? When it first came out, sure, yeah. And you didn't care for it at that point? I didn't care for it at that point. I didn't like uh, the Luke going to the dark side plot line and and all that stuff. I I had no problem with the idea of a cloned emperor. Uh, It was the rest of it that just didn't sit well for me. Um, Yes, there are silly things in Rise of Skywalker, but there's silly things in every single Star Wars movie. There are indeed silly things in I laughed overall. With, I, I loved laughed it. with glee, with just the the dead speak that made me laugh very hard. I was the only person oh, yeah. laughing, but because I thought it felt so '30s movie serial, which is exactly what it should feel like. Yeah, and I think sometimes that because so much weight has come around Star Wars, I mean, there is a legally registered religion uh, to this that people forget that. This really all happened because King Features would not give George Lucas the rights to make Flash Gordon. Exactly. Exactly. And, yeah, so the more it feels like a a silly, fun popcorn cereal, the better the Star Wars, as far as I'm concerned. Um, We got a ton of questions answered, uh, and I was satisfied with almost everything. What was the biggest answer we got? What do you think? Who writes parentages? Well, yeah, of course. Yeah. I mean, that was the big I, mystery okay of the with entire the no, series. Anyway, I didn't think it was a big. I mean, I think you know, but it, I'm not bothered by the kind of some people call it a backtracking. I say no, it was a logical lie. Well, the exposure that Palpatine had a son, you know, that was well, that's weird. I mean, we don't want to think about that. When did that happen? Yeah. But you know, that's okay. Well, but here's the thing: we know from Rebels, so there's been a lot of talk about, oh my God, who mated with the crusty old white man Palpatine but we know from Rebels that he was perfectly capable of appearing to people normally he did he, he I, I want right. to remind people that to, the President of the United States has had multiple affairs yeah that's also true <laughs> and wow. you know there's something about power that absolutely uh, it makes that believable yeah um, so I had no problem with that um I'm trying to think of all the 
all the new uses of the force that came up and you know why matter not? transfer exactly why not because we hadn't seen it before it can't happen there's been new things in every single movie of well, the idea that they had they had pre- they kind of led up to that matter transfer thing with the fact that they could have experiences with each other across to- across space right i mean and they- so the idea that all of a sudden they're actually in this quasi zone together where they could exchange stuff mm-hmm. it was just the it's just a little tweak on on that yeah i mean that was one of my favorite moments in the entire film was was uh ben solo getting ray's lightsaber and the little bow he does before he you know kicks the the I knights think, of ren i think it was funny was i like, loved it. I, I got a text from he said was his last line really ow and then when i went to see it a second time and it, because, of course, you have this huge fight sequence and all this stuff happens. I'm going to give it up to J.J. Abrams for pure visual storytelling in that, yes, when he falls and he hits that rock and goes, ouch, even though there's still another ten minutes or so with him in which he's very much front and center, he never speaks again. Oh, that's great. I'd, I'd need to go back and see it again. You know. Well, you do. I'm just saying that to taunt you. But, oh, I mean, thank but you. It is, but, it, but, like, in my mind, I was... I had retroactively put dialogue in like oh he must have spoken he must have said something again and I was like no it's all conveyed right with actual just emotion Adam Driver is one of those actors that I'm not sure that I like or I, I like him but I can't deny he's really talented and that 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 was a really powerful acting job in an interesting his performance through the whole series, I think, was probably the best of of the his performance wise. Um, his character development, his character development, his 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 ability to, I think, it was the most complex character. Though, well, certainly out of all of those. I mean, he yeah. was really truly the only conflicted character in the entire series or entire uh, mm-hmm. sequel trilogy, rather. Yeah, and uh, the scene with Harrison Ford just broke me oh and 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 i was so shocked i was so not expecting that you know when when we heard his voice i was like okay so they got a little voiceover they they cut together and then he turns around and harrison ford's standing there yeah i i leapt out of my seat i i would never have in a million years believed that harrison ford would show up for a cameo no i I thought he would not it was and it was brilliant i I just and it was a great little moment and it was very moving and yeah and great great echo back so enjoyed that so there's a lot of people who say that it, un- it undid a lot of, of the perceived flaws of Last Jedi. I disagree with that entirely. Ah, uh, yeah, I'm going to disagree as well. There were a couple things that I'm I saying those flaws and the, still and stand. The, the second time, no. I, but I didn't think they were flaws. I mean, I, yeah, I think Last Jedi is is the best of the series, um, and 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 it's like ranked two or three for me in, in all of them. But. I would agree with that because it's a, it's a very it's about something different. And I, 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 I'm also kind of torn. I can agree with people who say, like, oh, the whole Canto Bite thing was kind of wedged in. And I say, yes, it probably could have been smoother. But what an interesting idea to take off into some other direction in other films or other TV shows. Because, again, I'm not kidding when I say, look, 20 years from now, there isn't going to be a Ray movie. There were, you know, I, I don't know that movies as we know them are going to exist. We're all going to be streaming. It, it won't be directly, directly to, our, to our eyeballs. Yeah, I right. don't think it'll be that Helmets. extensive. Yeah. But we'll certainly be telling the stories around the campfire uh, in the, post- <laughs> the post-apocalyptic war. But it's. But that is a that was a really interesting point. And so, and when I watched it again the second time, I took I, I took my son, and. I thought even like Luke showing up, it's like had, did people miss that at the end of, of the la- of the Last Jedi that Yoda was basically telling Luke that his attitude through the whole movie was crap? Exactly. Yeah. You know, and then they're like, oh, it's because people decided they hated Ryan Johnson and oh, J.J. Abrams was n- no, he was not crapping on what Ryan Johnson did. Not at it all. It was the next logical step. Is Luke going? You know. There's a need for heroes, which is Ryan Johnson's point too. Yeah. Right. The difference between the films is that Ryan Johnson's was saying it's you know anybody could be a Jedi, but I think the I think the Rise of Skywalker is saying everybody just needs to stand up. Right. And that's a slightly different take on the same message. Well, I Absolutely. Think, didn't Luke paid the price for not having been involved earlier 
and having to overextend himself to make make mm-hmm. a difference at the end. If yeah. he had not been reticent and, and, and standoffish and leaving leaving everything behind him um, and had stayed with them, they might have, they might not have lost as many people, and he might have survived at the end. But it's true. Um, I think another interesting thing is a lot of people are complaining about. Well, it's it it invalidates Kylo Ren's telling her that she's from nobody, but it doesn't. It's a reflection. I mean, each each of the sequel trilogies are a reflection of the of the one original four. four, five, six, right? Yeah. So, Ren telling Ray that her, her parents are nobody is similar to Vader telling Luke that he's his father, except because. But Ray, I remember when each Empire one happened. Crushed. I remember when Empire happened, nobody believed it. We were all convinced that Darth Vader was lying. Odd enough, my father totally believed him and then didn't live to see Return of the Jedi. Hmm. So never, you know, which he would have crowed forever. Sure. I was right, and I don't even care, you know. (laughs) But I I think it's interesting that um, they chose to make it that Kylo Ren, I mean, he wasn't lying, but he was incorrect. You know, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. In, a, in a kind of a mirror of well, the it's, original. It's equivocating. It's yes. more important in that that the news delivered in that movie crushed the hero. Right. Because Ray really wanted to believe that she was someone's daughter. Yeah. And Luke her family was coming back. To, she had to get back to Jakku. Right. And yeah. Luke certainly didn't want to believe that Darth Vader was his father. Right. 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 So, do you think moving forward... As what we've heard, Ryan Johnson still saying, "Oh, you know, we're still talking, nothing firm." And there, uh, today, some more news leaked out that potentially that they're looking at a Knights of the Old Republic TV series. And when I say TV series, I, I presume Disney Plus. Not like, it would be Disney Plus if it happens. Yeah, if it happens. But that there were talking about a film in Knights of the Old Republic. Do we need more trilogies, or can we just? do movies and if they do well and you wanted more of that particular storyline like I said you, you could do a whole thing with Canto Bite I would love a movie taking care of that I don't know if I need a trilogy I'd love a series out of Canto Bite just make it make it a, a anthology series of different stories that happen in Canto Bite that'd be great yeah yeah. or Cloud City or wherever I don't care um, yeah uh, do we need trilogies it depends on the scope of the story they want to tell I would like you know by all accounts they did not um, plan out this trilogy from the get go and I think that would if I were going to be critical of the sequel trilogy I think it really would have benefited from them having an overarching storyline I I think the only one that was planned out from the get go was 1, 2, 3 I think Lucas knew that he did not know 4, 5, 6 he knew 4 he knew four. He and, and he had concepts for five and six. Many of which he abandoned. Is all I'm saying because oh, we he, almost got Splinter of the Mind's Eye as, as five. Right. Well, Splinter of the Mind's Eye, my understanding was commissioned as a well. If the movie doesn't do well, here here's the sequel. Right. Right. And, right. I'm and saying, but that's if what it I'm does saying. well, we'll do the, our thing. Um, but uh, I, I think in this day and age, they need to plan better. Really? Um, yeah, I'm always of two, two minds on that. Is so. feeling like I, I don't, I don't like when there's something with the grand mythology and they don't really know where they're going and they're making it up as they go along. Yeah, and yet sometimes it has worked, and they have, and a story yet sometimes group. it's been the X Files, right? And they have a story group specifically Some. to govern this stuff, so let them do their job. So why not? Let's put Dave Filoni and John Favreau in charge. Is yep. what you're saying? Well, I, no. Um, <laughs> Uh, I am looking forward to Mandalorian Season 2 after... Uh, I, I really wish they would just dump these things to binge because Mandalorian, in my opinion, would have been a lot better to binge. if I was able to watch it in a four-hour movie. Well, if you could have waited eight weeks, yeah, you could have done that. I couldn't yeah. do that. <laughs> well, I mean, that's almost a, another conversation, the, the binge versus episodic, because I think there's, there's strength to both. There is strength to both. And uh, but it depends on the series. The way the Mandalorian was made, and the man- way the Mandalorian was released, there were so many quote unquote fluff episodes that didn't connect to one another 
until the very end of the series. It was disjointed, it, and, it, and it felt uh, it, they were it, neat, it, but it didn't it feel felt like, like an old. It, it felt like an old Western TV show to me. Like I felt like I was watching The Rifleman. Right, and yeah. that's and that's great in the '60s. Sure, and some of us remember the '60s. I, and and so, I'm not arguing yeah. that. I'm, I'm I'm saying that in twenty in 2019 rather, uh, TV has evolved, and it, we shouldn't be mimicking TV of the '60s. Right. Well, there's a there's a question in my mind as to whether or and not I, I also I'm, I'm I'm in the minority on this. Yeah. People were people are raving about the Mandalorian like it's it's the second coming of George Lucas. Well, that's that's the question I have, which is does does the one a week build more of an audience through word of mouth than binging does? Hmm. It's a good question because you you get the first one out there and everyone talks about it and they're I all waiting for the next episode. I would say they were really lucky. I mean. Calculated. The, the, the thing is that, that if you had done every episode at once, mm-hmm. and, and you'd have binged it, you'd have been happy with your four hours. But would Baby Yoda, or Be I'm sorry, is. John Favreau, as we really like to call him, the child, the child. and yeah. I'm fine with that, would the child have become the incredible cultural phenomenon that... He did. I mean, I have several coworkers that are because of being busy with work are uh, still waiting. Well, because they haven't subscribed to Disney Plus yet. Right. It's like you know, we've got other things, and they go okay. That that they're that yeah, they're still waiting, and they can. But why they care about the Mandalorian? Not necessarily they're Star Wars fans, but because they got to know what, what is that, means. what is the child, you know, and and why it is cool. I mean, it's funny because I, I had several conversations with people about, all right, I'm totally down with why they did not have any toys ready for Christmas because no one at Kenner or Mattel or whoever had would have had to the license their mouth shut. to keep their m- mouth shut. Yeah. And I said, but can you wait till May? Will anybody still care at May? And, I, and everybody's like, yes, we still will care. And I'm like, I, I don't know. I'm sure they will, especially when season two comes out. I mean, the fact that they're already in production on season two is is great. You know, they're, it's going to release next fall or yeah. this fall, rather. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, we're in 2020. My, my my dates are still all messed up. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I I think I think people will still care. I think the way they left off season one, it's just getting good. But yeah, there's probably a good third of the episodes of The Mandalorian I don't need to see again. Oh, that's all right. But as 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 the quote unquote super fan that I am, that's a very odd thing for me to feel. But aren't there other things in Star Wars that you have not liked? Certainly, but not in uh, a live action media. Eh, all right. So you last, didn't like droids, huh? So, oh, I love droids. Okay. <laughs> Ewoks, not so much. Yeah, yeah, you're going to go for the Ewok a bit. But I mean, there's there's novels I don't care for. There's oh, okay. comics I don't care yeah. for. Yeah. You know, because. In the '90s, they were so plentiful. Yes, uh, some of it was going to be terrible, and some of it was. Well, and and to your point about you know, wish there had been more planning. Uh, last night on, I think it was Reddit, uh, and it has been confirmed as real. Colin Trevorrow's draft of episode nine. It's been confirmed at- that it's real. Yes. Okay. Well, then it's that's a terrible thing because I've seen little snippets about it. Okay. And and wow, I have not read it because. I didn't believe I mean, it was I real. Think, I, I still th- am dubious. I, I don't think it you know, was got to a serious point. It's just his draft. Because I don't know at what point in, uh, in production that the Book of Henry had come out and they decided Colin Trevorrow should not be not writing. Not be involved, yeah. Um, so I don't know how far along it got. There were some ideas I liked and some ideas I did not. But it does point out that it's different. And it points out that, again... There, I'm going to go into a larger conversation here. That one of the criticisms of, of the Rise of Skywalker is fan service. You, as a fan, completely served. Totally, <laughs> totally served, and happily, uh, and happily. Okay, and and many people not because at this point it's so big. How can you see, feel all the you serve all the fans? But I did want to tie into a larger story, which is Warner Brothers announced last week that they're going to start using AI for script approval. And that they're going to use an AI for film development in evaluating audience trends, actor popularity, 
It's the ultimate in fan service because oh they're, they're going to look at this stuff and how are we going to get anything new and original? We know in, in The Rise of Skywalker, I, as a result, rather, Oscar Isaac has made it pretty clear in a lot of interviews, a lot, that he is disappointed that, say, Finn and Poe did not explore a relationship. I was surprised. <clears throat> the way, especially during the, the course of the movie, I really expected at the very I, end, I, I expected a kiss. I actually expected, I, I thought that might happen. I think when they when you're watching the movie, I think it would have been too much because they're exploring the fact that Finn is sore sensitive, right? And very subtly, not 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 coming not having him have an awakening moment or having to talk to anybody about which it, I love. Kind of like, it's very subtle, and I think that would have just it, it might have been too much for that that one character to do, given mm. how little time they spent on. I don't anyway. think it needed to be much. I think I think they established. The relationship between Poe and Finn during the course of the movie with the bickering and everything, I thought they were... They were like an old married couple. They were an obvious <laughs> couple. Yeah. So, you know, at the big celebration. I mean, we did we did get our first same-sex kiss in, in Rise of Skywalker, right. and that was great. But I thought it was going to be Poe and Finn. And, of course, you know, you can't please everybody. You know, half of the planet would freak out if that happened, and half the planet would be thrilled, and, and, I, I'm and okay vice versa. That. Right now, so I don't realize I'll be I'll, I'll be dead at this point, but I am looking forward to the day where just the whole planet just goes, eh, okay, it is what it is. Right. Oh, me too. Yeah, so. I think you are in in smaller media, but no, but I'm but smaller media. That's I mean, like, yeah. going to a convention with people that think like I do for the most part. Right. That's great. But, I mean, I just, and even I, I say this is like, you know, that even that I still have to have that thought, oh, I can hardly wait for the day, it's not even really noticeable, right. it just exactly. is, right, right, right. it's like, well, then even I'm still stuck right. in some, you know, and so that's, uh, that's there, and what was that, uh, the, the, the novel had, had the, had the uh, LGBTQ characters. Uh, On the Aftermath trilogy. Aftermath, aftermath yeah. trilogy. Which was honestly the only good thing about the Aftermath trilogy. Well, I still haven't gotten through the first one, so... <laughs> I know, I know. Yeah. Look, I got plenty of other things to read. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, and... Uh, and better. The novelization isn't coming out until, like, November? The Last Jedi novelization came out months after, too. Not... not a year yeah. later, though, um, I don't. Yeah, I don't know. I've got it on a pre-order on Amazon, and it's like they've got to fix things, right? They've yeah. got to fix stories. It's mm-hmm. at least three or four months out from now, right? Yeah, because, because I, I think I think I think Jason Fry's novelization of Last Jedi came out two or three months, maybe. It wasn't. It wasn't that. Yeah. I, I will look. I have it at home. Yeah, I just. I honestly. I, don't I thought remember. it was five or six months, maybe. But I think it also um, it did answer a lot of things criticisms people had about the Last Jedi. Like I. I I felt, and I think he did a great job. I really enjoyed reading that one. Yeah. But that it filled in sort of like, okay, people have had two or three months of criticizing The Last Jedi. How can we write around that? And Maybe. Uh, I mean, that's, that, you know how novels are turned around. It, it does, it, I, I know. He, he, I, I do understand that. Most I, of it, it was already finalized I also before the movie you know, came And I, I, I wish that I had been... A, followed up and had the conversation with him was what role do novelizations hold anymore like when i was a kid in the 70s that's how we relived the movie relived, or in many cases uh horror movies that my parents would not let me go see i read the books sure actually i think uh didn't uh return of the jedi the novelization was the first time we ever found out that there was a volcano involved in I know it was in the yeah. novels. Yeah, you're was, right. Because I've lived with that for movie. a long time. So I think I think that I think you're right. I think yeah. it's Return of the Jedi that it, that that the fight that whole the fight at the war fight, was yeah. on a, a volcanic shelf or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, which was one of those things where I realized, oh yeah, again a generational thing that when that happened in uh, in Revenge of the Sith, I was yeah. like, well, it was completely anticlimactic to the version in my head that I'd lived with for twenty. Years and then I thought, of course, no way had any had either. How of my could kids skateboarding be over lava be anticlimactic? No, no, sword I, fighting while they're skateboarding. No, no over I mean, lava. sometimes I, I don't believe in backstory. Once you've established something as as being backstory, I mean, I yeah. believe in it. But it's like it's 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 sort of like ending a series this big. You're never going to please everybody, no. and everybody's yeah. lived with their idea of how it's supposed to go and how it's going to end. And here we are, even even saying it's uh, Drew here saying it's flawless. Still, he goes. I'm surprised this didn't happen. Surprised, you know, and when we and we can think of all the reasons. Like, 
my son and I don't recall is JJ my son read something or claims to read something with JJ Abrams saying well I wanted to do this and this and this and and uh, my son my cynical 15 year old says studio politics (laughs) (laughs) wow I'm like yeah I mean at least he didn't say thanks Obama no (laughs) he said okay boomer this is the uh, he says that too but this is my concern with the AI is like how do you is that we are still shooting for the like in the wake of this oh good this did better than Solo, which was playing on that TV over there, right? Uh, yeah. Here at yep. Seven Stars, where there's always at least two Star Wars films going on at, at right. the same time. There's, there's three going... Uh, it's, no, there's two Star Wars, a Harry Potter... There's Godzilla, King of the Monsters... Transformers, and, and Predator. Predator. No, uh, that's, isn't that... Is that another Star oh, Wars? Oh, that's right. There was Transformers was over there. Don't, don't say Transformers and Predator at the same in the same breath, otherwise Michael Bay is just going to explode. Oh, dear God. Uh, but anyway... Uh, will explode... But, but, you know, to me, like, I, I was thinking about this with, with Solo. Like, a kid discovering Solo yeah. is probably going to think it's great. It's whichever Star Wars movie you show him first. But, it, but sure. you know, a kid discovering Solo is going to love it just fine and have no idea. It's going to have this great long life. And I think about, again, in a larger thing with studios, you put it in the AI. How many movies do we love that nobody thought did well when they first came out. Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, for the first one that pops to mind is The Thing came out the same weekend as E.T. and right. Right. was panned and died, and it's now... It's a classic. And, and, I, and, and I think probably more people... Often we connect online going like, wait, you love that movie too? Yeah. And, and it's, uh, it's the whole basis of a friendship, really. Uh, it's is, true. Uh, Big Trouble in Little China. Uh, yep. uh, Rocky Horror there, of course. Sure. And uh, the thing, there was something else that you that you threw out. Oh, aren't you secretly a Xanadu fan as I'm well? I'm a huge Xanadu. I'm not See? even secretly. I'm proudly a Xanadu okay, fan. So I will stand so on a no, table I love and proclaim Xanadu. my love for Xanadu. Roller skates. I love Xanadu. Absolutely. And, and Absolutely. Leg warmers. There, at, and, and we were thinking about doing, a, a, maybe this is the way to do, do it as a podcast, is we know it's a finite amount. We list which movies they are, and then we just discuss those movies. I do. Xanadu, do Xanadu being one where absolutely. I would absolutely say, you know, why people overlook it and shouldn't. Better Off Dead, we could do that. Real Genius. And see, all the things you name, I sit there and go, yeah, no, no, those are great. People loved them. And then I look back at, like, no, and read it, and it's like, they, they did not. And I was like, I... I did like Big Trouble in Little China. I saw oh six times in the theater that summer. I have no idea. Yeah, I mean, and if we were bored. I said, "Hey, let's, let's go, go see, see Big, Big Trouble in Little China. China." I had a, and then I, I had found a buddy that, people <laughs> the same way. We'd go, we'd go watch Big Trouble in Little China, and we'd go back and we'd play Karate Champ on my Commodore sixty four, and that was our that was our every day in the summer. <laughs> well, there we go. So. Uh, I do want to throw a couple little movie news things in, and that is that uh, the Morbius trailer dropped. And is that... Uh, it hit the floor. Uh, yes. Did, did you watch the Morbius trailer? I did watch the Morbius trailer. How do you feel about the is it or isn't it in the Spider-Man universe? Uh, it isn't. Yeah. No. Uh, it has to be, right? It's, yeah, well, what's it, the Spider-Man it's like universe? The ne- it's like the Netflix TV shows. They do... Yeah. It's clearly it is connected, and that's part of the deal the deal with Sony so that Sony would feel good. I mean, I love that Sony begins that trailer with, from the studio that brought you Spider-Man yes. Far From Home when Marvel Studios and actually Venom. took control. <laughs> and then, yes, the third one. Also Venom. And Venom. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> so, right. It uh, looks okay. I don't know anything about the character. I just don't think it's a strong enough story for a whole movie. I think it's 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 well, a great character. I, I think for, the thing is, like Matt Smith, Matt Smith shows up in it, and, it, and yeah. it's it's knowing more about it's dealing more with what some of the solo Sons of Midnight stuff have have been. Yeah. and I, you know, I don't know anything about it. But the Matt Smith character is apparently like becomes a villain like Morbius, and. I'm realizing how many of these movies are we going to have them just face the antithesis of themselves? I just have trouble bringing. No, never mind. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> At least it's not like the animated series where Morbius has like you know little mouths in his hands because oh, they could they weren't allowed to actually bite the vamp, you know vampires yeah, weren't on the yeah. cartoon, so it was their hands and they'd suck your energy out. Oh well, that's that was lame. Something anyway. Uh, Billie Eilish has been announced as singing the theme song Indeed. to youngest, No Time to Die. Singer to sing. Well, I don't care about film. that. It's just kind of that's cool. It's kind of interesting. Her brother's going to write it. She's going to sing it. 
Is it just going to be a cover of the Love Boat? <laughs> I am bothered by that font every time oh I God, look at that so, poster. It's so awful. But you know what? But again, here's a generational thing. Certainly, my son has no idea what the Love Boat is, so he doesn't understand why I go. Hmm, yeah, that's every true. time I see that, that's so, true. It's there. I want to update a TV story, which we were talking about the CW, and they did officially. They renewed all their Arrowverse shows, even though Arrow is leaving. So, yes. uh, but that includes that they are doing the spin-off Green Arrow and the Sirens, and they greenlit Superman and Lois today. So, oh, like, cool! Again, things that I just assumed had already been done. They're like, ooh, slow news day. Congratulations! You know, we're all distracting ourselves from the real world, and that's okay. So. Uh, I'd say this the end of this section, but uh, th- so for, for this, thank you everyone for listening. I'm Derek McCaw, Editor-in-Chief of FanboyPlanet.com. I'm Drew Campbell, resident Star Wars nerd. And I'm Rick Brettsnyder, reminding you to use, use your, your powers, powers for good. good. Thanks once again to the great Luke Ski for use of his music in this podcast. Visit Luke Ski at www.thegreatlukeski.com.